We're going to look at two scriptures. The, the primary one that we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 5.17. So if you want to go ahead and get it in your Bible and put a marker. See, I'm trying to be there. Put a marker in your Bible. And then we're, the first one we're going to look is, look at is Isaiah 118. So I'll give you some um, time to turn there. Isaiah 118 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now, speaking in another church is always a little um, scary and it's always a little intimidating because you guys are used to phenomenal preaching every week. Your pastor does an incredible job at preaching God's Word. And, and, and so there's the, the church differences. Maybe there's a few differences. Maybe there's some geographical differences. Maybe there's some style differences. And so I was like, oh, Lord, what am I going to talk about at Gateway Church? And I believe that one of the things that I love to talk about is how to get past your past. Because here's what I know in a room this size and all of our campuses and maybe watching online or listening to a podcast is there are people here that there's something in your past that haunts you from time to time. Like you just can't seem to get victory in your life because as soon as it seems you get your head above water, as soon as it seems you're living with some joy, as soon as it seems like you're living with some enthusiasm, it, whatever it is, come back, comes back and it haunts you. And you just can't seem to get unleashed from your past. There's something. It was, a, it was an event. It was a season. It was college. It was your first marriage or your second marriage or your third marriage. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but there's something in your past that seems to kind of haunt you. So if you don't hear anything else I say, if you want to, the sermon in a sentence, if you don't hear anything else I say, if you want to start counting lights or you have to leave early or your kid sets the nursery on fire, there's always one in every church, right? It's probably, <laughs> if you don't hear anything else I say, the, the sermon in a sentence is this, that if you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. If you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. And for some people, you're like, well, that's, that's a great sentence. And I'm, man, I could put that on a sticky note and put that on my mirror. But how do you live that out? Because you don't understand what I'm going through. And, and, and I, you know what? I probably don't. But I can tell you a little bit of my story. This, is, this happened to me when I was in the sixth grade. It's a true story. Um, in the sixth grade, I remember one, one day we were going to lunch. And we walked in the lunchroom, and, and they were serving burritos that day. Now, it's very important that you remember that we were eating burritos at lunch. So I'm going to ask you on three, what were we eating? And on three, all of our campuses, I just want you to respond back to me. One, two, three. Burritos. burritos. That is unbelievable. You guys are an amazing crowd. I already feel the connection. So right after lunch in the sixth grade, we went to PE, physical education. And that particular, I remember on this particular day, we were doing our physical fitness test. And, you know, you could do pull-ups or, or push-ups, but on, on this day, you, I'm not making this up, we were doing the sit-up test. <laughs> what I have for lunch? <laughs> Some of y'all can see this coming, can't you? So... They stood us on the wall and we had to number off as partners because one person would do the sit-ups and the other person would hold their feet. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? One, two, one, two, one, two. Well, I was number one. Number two was Tara Ann. <laughs> Tara Ann was the most beautiful girl in the sixth grade. Unbelievable. Like I was in love with Tara Ann as much in love as you can be in the sixth grade. And I knew this was my opportunity to win her heart. I was going to do so many sit-ups that she was going to fall madly passionately in love with me. We were going to start to go out, whatever that meant. Remember in sixth grade, my mom will drive, your mom can pick up. You remember that? <laughs> this was my chance. 
And I was going to embrace this opportunity to win her heart. So I went first and she held my feet. Teacher said, on your mark, get set, go. She blows the whistle. And I, I started sit-ups. One, two, on the third sit-up. I parted her hair. Mm. There's somebody here going, I can't believe you're talking about that in church. I'm just telling you, it happened, and it, I'm not proud of it. She's fine. We got her some counseling. She went through some rehab. She is doing outstanding today. But I quit. I quit right there. I was like, I'm not doing any more sit-ups. The teacher said, you'll fail. I'm like, I'm going to fail anyway. I cannot. And for the rest of the year, every time I saw her, I would just want to weep. We went to middle school. Of course, you know, in middle school, we're in, you know, separate classes or whatever, but I never will forget, I could be having the best day ever, the best day ever, and I could walk around the corner, I could see Tara Ann walking down the hall, and I'd be, that my joy would just leave me on, on the spot. I would automatically begin to weep and gnash my teeth and tear my clothes and put ashes on my head because it was just not good. We're in high school, same thing. I could be having the best day ever and see her, and my day was ruined because I couldn't forget what I did. This is no lie, at our 10-year high school reunion, I'm standing behind the press box. The football game's going on, and, and I'm talking to some friends I hadn't seen in a long time. I feel somebody pull on my shirt. I turn around, it's Tara Ann. She says, I bet you don't remember me. It's like, I can't get away from you. It, it, was, it was one of those things that's crazy, but it's a funny story, and it's a true story, but what's not so funny is I think everybody here, if we would just be honest today, probably has a Tara Ann event, something in your past that seems to just come up at the most inappropriate time. And I'll just take you to God's Word, because Scripture says in Isaiah 118, the Bible invites us, this is the invitation from God, where Scripture says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In other words, God says, I can take care of the sin problem. And not only, the, not, not only what you did, but I can, I, I can wash it all away. Scripture says also in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and this is the main, this is where we're gonna focus for the rest of the day, is therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and in the Greek, that word anyone means anyone. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Aren't you glad today that Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross to fix you up, he died on a cross to make you new? I am so glad. A lot of people go, Jesus, I want you to fix me, and Jesus goes, fix you? Uh-uh, I wanna make you brand new. Now, there's some people here that I know. Yeah, we can, we can celebrate that. We should. I mean, we could clap. In fact, turn to the person to your right right now and say, I'm glad I'm forgiven. Like, turn, turn, the person, now turn to the person on the other side that you didn't like as much and tell them I'm forgiven. Yeah. Hey, hold on now. That's all I said to say. I didn't say go crazy. Anyway, so I wish Pastor Robert was here. Anyway, I know we struggle with that. It, isn't it funny that we can know the truths of Scripture but not feel the truths of Scripture sometimes? Like we can know we're forgiven, but we don't feel forgiven. 
One of the things that I've learned is we've got to learn how to take the emotional and submit it to the biblical. And so one of the, one of the ways this works out for me is I just visit three statements often when my past seems to come up. Because you've got to understand something about me. Before I met Christ, I was an unbelievably awesome sinner. I sinned, and I sinned well. And since I've met Christ, I still sin. Isn't that crazy? I still mess up. I still fall down. And so these three statements are things that I run to. They are anchors in my life that help me get past my past. Number one, in Christ, I am completely forgiven. In Christ, I am completely forgiven. We all struggle with feeling forgiven sometimes, but the reality is this, is when we surrender our lives to Christ, we are forgiven completely, totally on the spot. And we wrestle with that, we don't feel that way, and it's because, well, let me set it up like this. When uh, several years ago, my wife and I, Lucretia, bought a brand new car. Brand new. We had never owned a brand new car. Um, and it's not because we were rich, it's because we saved up and we, we bought the brand new car. Because when we first got married, we were broke and poor. You ever been that way? Broke and poor? We were so poor, we had to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and lick other people's fingers. You know what I'm talking about? It's was, it was bad. It's really embarrassing, but we got past that. Broke and poor. So we saved up and we bought a brand new car. And I had a meeting in a restaurant one day, and so I drive this car to the meeting, and I come out of the restaurant, and somebody had hit my car. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Not just scratched it, I'm talking about mangled the back fender. And half of their bumper was next to it, so it's not like they didn't know they hit the car. They ran, and I was mad, angry. I'm talking punch you in the throat mad. You ever been that mad? Yeah, I know y'all have, because I've seen the road construction y'all got on y'all's roads. Some of y'all don't, uh-uh. Don't judge me, you walked in here mad. God made her show up today, Melvin, or I'm killing somebody. Like that, that's how you walked in. Don't, it's, listen, whoo, glad I'm in the house of God. Somehow, every once in a while you meet somebody, they go, well, you should have prayed for them. I did. I prayed for them on the spot. I found a prayer in the book of Psalms where David said, break the teeth of the wicked, oh God. I was like, yes, all over that, Right? Probably a little out of context, but nonetheless, it felt good in the moment. What's crazy is that dent robbed me of my joy for a long time. Like, I could be having the best day at work. I mean, I could be having the day at work that you just felt like you dotted every I and crossed every T and you were getting a major win and walk out and see the dent on that car and just be angry and upset. I could be having a great morning, get up, great quiet time, great workout, great cup of coffee, walk out in the carport, look at that dent, and it robbed me of my joy. And that's what happens to us many times in life. We look at the dent to identify our life with rather than the death of Christ on the cross. And if you're in Christ, your life is not identified by the dent, but by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he didn't fix up that dent. He made us brand new according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now, we wrestle with that sometimes because here's what I wrestled with. I believe that when I prayed to receive Christ that all my past sins were forgiven, but every sin that I committed from that point on, I had to work and I had to earn until I finally realized that forgiveness is some, not something that we achieve. Forgiveness is something very simply that we receive. Forgiveness is not achieved. Forgiveness is received. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, listen now, he paid for sins past, present, and future. 
Jesus is outside of time. And isn't it funny that when he created us, he knew every stupid, foolish, sinful thing we were ever going to do. He created us anyway and went ahead and arranged for the payment to be made. And in him, in Christ, we are completely (laughs) forgiven. Amen? Number two, in Christ, I am valuable. In Christ, I, we, you, we are valuable. We have value. Now, everybody in here has something that you consider to be of value. We could go around the room and start naming things. I would, one of the primary things of value in my life is my driver's license. Let me walk you through why. In fact, let me, let me walk you through the, when I realized how valuable my driver's license were. I worked in a restaurant for years called Ryan's. I think you guys had some Ryan's out here. They've, they've gone out of business South Carolina, I don't know what they're doing in Texas, but they, they went out of business. But I, worked, I was working the cash register, and I, we were really busy this day, and I remember this guy comes up to the cash register, and he had on a jacket, and he had on a, a hood, and he had on some gloves, and it was kind of hot outside, and I thought that was weird. Literally, the thought ran through my mind, huh, it'd be funny if this guy tried to rob me. And I kind of laughed too, until I opened the cash drawer when I was ringing up his ticket, and he reaches in his jacket, and he starts pulling out this knife. It's the biggest knife I've ever seen. In fact, the longer I tell the story, the bigger the knife got. It was like, <laughs> my name is Ziga Montoya. <laughs> Some of you love that. Some of you didn't connect. And that's, that's, I'm so sorry. It's my bad. Pulled a knife on me. And every once in a while, I'll meet a man, you know, a big burly man, and be like, did you fight him? (laughs) No, Bubba Redneck. I backed off and said, hey, man. Hey, you want a biscuit to go? I'll get you. Can we get him a steak? It wasn't my money. I wasn't emotionally attached. But if he had asked for my wallet, we'd have gone around. I'm a big man. I've been in a tangle or two. I mean, I think I could have handled myself. You might push back and say, but he had a knife. Well, you're right, but see, you don't understand. If I would have given him my wallet, if he had asked for my wallet, I'd have given him my wallet. I didn't have a credit card. It's my driver's license. And I'm not giving up my driver's license. I would rather be stabbed in the head 17 times <laughs> than give up my driver's license because if I give up my driver's license, I've got to go to the DMV and stand in line, <laughs> Right? Obviously, the DMV is awful in Texas, too. You might be here going, well, I work for the DMV. Well, smile every once in a while and make somebody happy. Good gosh. All we're going to do is get up and get our picture taken and lie about our weight. So can we get that done as quick as possible? Value. They, I mean, they are valuable to me, and everybody in here has something of value. Now, I think we can all agree on this next statement, and it doesn't matter if you're man or woman, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, Christian or non-Christian, I think we can all agree on this statement, that the value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for it, right? That the value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay. I realized um, this, it hit me really hard when um, a friend of mine named C.J. Spiller, who um, plays for the Buffalo Bills, he went to Clemson University, and, um, and I remember when the Buffalo Bills drafted him, five years, $25 million contract. 
And I remember going, man, that's awesome. And people going, well, all that money won't make you happy. <laughs> I'd like to give it a shot. But <laughs> I remember when they drafted him as the Buffalo Bills, I was like, you know what? They place value on him. And you can tell they place value on him by the price they were willing to pay to, to, for his services. The value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay. That's true for our cars. That's true for our homes. That's true for any art that we may have in our homes. The value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay. Now, if that's true, it brings a brand new light to John chapter 3, verse 16. Because if the value of something is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay, and you're in Christ, God gave his son for you. How dare we stand in the shadow of a bloodstained cross and talk about how invaluable we are when the truth is God goes, no. I love the world that I gave my one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. And it's, listen, in Christ, your life, the identity, everything about you, it's not determined by the mess you made but by the price Jesus paid. And because of the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for our sins, we are valuable in him. Amen? Number three, in Christ, I am unconditionally loved. In Christ, I am unconditionally loved. Now, I gotta be honest, because I kinda feel like we've connected a little bit, a little bit family here, Gateway. I'm a, I don't love people unconditionally, do you? No, no, I'm not getting a lot of response. Come on now. Do, do, nobody here goes, I love everybody unconditionally. You're a liar. Or ha, I'm not sure which one, but like it, it I, I, you're, I'm a condi like, can, can we just be honest? I know you love people conditionally because you're about to, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're about to go spend a, a time with a group of people that were you not blood related with these people, you would never be caught dead in the same room with them. We call them family. And every family, right? Every family has a weirdo in the family. Every family has a weirdo. You may be sitting there going, well, my family don't have a weirdo. <laughs> Bing! <laughs> we love people conditionally, there's conditions on the love, but I'll, I'll tell you who I love unconditionally. I'll tell you who I just adore and love unconditionally. It's my five-year-old little girl named Karis. She's beautiful, she's smart, she's godly, she's a genius, nothing like her father. Um, like she, but she, I mean, seriously, she, I, I love her. And, and I was nervous when she was getting ready to be born. Like, because I'm, you know, first time dad, I didn't know. So I was really kind of nervous. Like, how am I going to love her? Because I knew how I loved her mother. Like, Lucretia, I, I pursued her. Single people, I didn't stalk her, pursued her. Big difference. <laughs> another story, another time. I knew how I loved my friends, but I didn't know how I was going to love care. So I remember when Lucretia and I got pregnant, mainly Lucretia, um, when we got pregnant, <laughs> I automatically started freaking out a little bit, going, how am I gonna love this, this, this little girl? Oh my gosh. So I kind of stressed about it, and we, we, we finally, I remember Lucretia had a scheduled C-section, so we go in to, because we had some birth complications, and so we go in, and she's getting ready to give birth, and they're giving her drugs, and I'm like, hey, can I, can I, get, some, can I get some of that? They said no. I was like, all right, because the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. I just want to throw a verse out there and 
I'm good. So, so they're getting ready, and they're getting ready, and finally the doctor's down there doing everything that he does. We don't need to talk about that. But and then all of a sudden, he holds Karis up, and I got it. I'm like, that's how I love her. Now let me walk you through. I did not love her because the birth process is so beautiful. <laughs> Have you ever met that person? Oh, the birth of a child is so beautiful. No, it's not. <laughs> Crack smoker, it is not the most beautiful. It is, it is mortifying, right? Women say that because they're completely drugged up. Dad is over in the corner, passed out. They're giving him juice and cookies, trying to be, he's like, I never want to do this again. <laughs> Some people say, oh, you loved her because she was so beautiful. Let's be honest <laughs> about the baby when it first comes out, right? Because they held Karis up. They were like, here she is. And I was like. Congratulations, baby. We've given birth to E.T. <laughs> Her head was monstrous. I mean, I I didn't love her because the process was beautiful. I didn't love her because she was beautiful. Listen to me, I loved her instantaneously because she was mine. Can we be honest? How many of you are parents? Would you raise your hand? Come on, you know if you're a parent. You know if you're a parent. You figure that out, right? <laughs> Doesn't your child spend the first year of their life trying to get you to never love them again? Halo turns into a pitchfork really quickly. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, we can be honest. Like you bring them home and you're like, I love this child. And three days in, you're going, what do I do? They won't be quiet. And then you get them changed and they use the bathroom automatically on you again. I, I remember one time I'm playing with Karis. I've got her held up like this. She threw up in my mouth. I mean, nothing but net, right? Didn't even touch the sides. I just gave it right back to her. I was like, Bleh. so. Unbelievable. We don't love our children because they're so good. Listen, I don't care how many stickers you have on the back of your minivan, your child is not that perfect. She's growing up, she's getting, I mean, she's really, she's brilliant. Lucretia, my wife, her, her mother, she's a medical doctor. So, I mean, the, the, the brain power there is unbelievable. Didn't get that from me, got it from, and so literally, to tell you how smart she is, she's in kindergarten. There's a third grader, they're at gymnastics, and the third grader's trying to rush through their homework, and they're like, oh my gosh, the third grader says out loud, I don't know what an adjective is. And my five-year-old daughter goes, an adjective is a word that describes a noun. <laughs> Lucretia told me that story, and I was like, is that, is that true? Is that, I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm just making sure. But you, you know, parents, you know when they begin to develop that little attitude? She's starting to develop just a little bit now. We're riding down the road the other day. I told her something. She said, Daddy, I don't think that's true. So I put her out of the car and made her walk home. We'll figure this out. <laughs> Parents, 
none of us love our children because they're so perfect and they perform so well and they never mess up. I don't love my daughter because of her performance. I love her because of her position as my daughter. Now, if that's how I love my little girl and I'm an imperfect parent, how much more so does our heavenly Father love those who belong to him? It's not based on performance, it's based on position and his love never goes away. In fact, Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, I just want to focus on this one verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing. And you say, Perry, you don't know what I did. And you're right, sir. You're right, ma'am. I don't know what you did, but I know what Christ did on the cross, and it paid for your sin, and he wants you today to step into the victory that he's called you to. I'll close with this. Every... Every Saturday morning, just about, I take Karis, my little girl, we, we go on a, a daddy-daughter date every Saturday. I've been doing it since she was seven months old. It's really awkward at first. <laughs> what do you do with a seven-month-old? Like, I would take her to Chick-fil-A, I'd eat a biscuit, she would drool. <laughs> and one day, she'll probably take me to Chick-fil-A, she'll eat a biscuit, and I'll drool. So, I, like, hopefully this is going to be a long-term thing. But I go in and I get her every Saturday morning and I'm, you know, I'm, wanna, I'm teaching her how a gentleman treats a lady and I always open the door for her and it's just this, this thing that I'm doing. And um, I remember one Saturday morning I go in to get her and I open the door and the smell was the worst smell I'd ever smelled in my life. And I said, what has happened in this room? I walk around the corner and we didn't know, we found out pretty quickly, she had contracted a stomach virus the night before, and she had thrown up everywhere. I mean, it was on the carpet, it was on her bed, it was on her wall, it was dripping off of her. And I'm trying not to be gross, because I know we have some sympathetic vomiters here, and you're about to go right now, you're about to, don't, because if you blaze, we all blaze, all right? So just, just hold, I'm gonna need you to hold that back a little bit. And so it was everywhere. And I, had, I don't have the strongest stomach in the world. And I, I never will forget what happened because God taught me so much that day. She's dripping in her vomit and she looks at me and she holds her arms up and she goes, Daddy. Now let me tell you what I did not do. I did not give her a lecture. I did not tell her that good little girls don't make messes. I did not tell her, you clean up this mess and when you get it clean, I'll come back into your presence or maybe you can enter mine. I picked her up, vomit and all. I took her to the bathroom. I cleaned her up. I came back in and I cleaned her mess up. You know why? Because I'm her father and I'm bigger than the mess she made. Amen. And I don't know who you are and I don't know your story, but there's somebody here today and you're dominated by your past and I'm telling you, God is your father, and he's bigger than the mess that we've made of our lives, and his biggest desire for us is to get over our past because he has and step into the victory that Jesus called us to. They put Jesus in a tomb, but three days later, he came out. 
And I believe he calls us to do the same thing, to not live in the tomb of our past, but to step out in the victory that he's called us to live in. And we can because we're in Christ. In Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone and the new is here. Can we pray together, all of our campuses, heads bowed and eyes closed? I would just love to ask you the question that our pastor asks us every week from this very stage. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Did you feel the Lord in that service speak to your heart and maybe listen maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian somebody just brought you today and they promised you lunch or whatever and you realize that today that your biggest problem in life is that you're not in Christ and maybe today for the first time you you recognize I need to receive Jesus in my life maybe you're here today and you are in Christ but all your life you've wrestled with that thing that issue that has dominated you and maybe you realized that today's the day you step out of that and you step into the victory that Jesus called you to. In just a second on all of our campuses, we're gonna have a time of prayer. And if you felt the Lord specifically speak to your heart, I'm gonna invite you to come forward. There's gonna be prayer, um, there's gonna be prayer counselors down front that would love to meet with you, pray with you, encourage you, pray for you. No one's gonna judge you or throw a rock at you. And, let, and, and we want you to come forward for prayer. You don't even have to be a member of Gateway Church to receive prayer. You, this, is our, this is our honor to serve you as a church. And you say, if I go forward for prayer, people might think I'm a bad person. Well, that's not true. Bad people don't need prayer. All people need prayer. And so if you need someone to pray with you or for you because God specifically spoke to your heart during this message, I want to encourage you in just a second. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say amen. When I say amen on all of our campuses, we're all going to stand up. But if you know you need prayer, I'm going to ask you just to stand up and step out in one motion and come forward. And there will be people down here that would love to pray with you and for you. Maybe you've been held in bondage by that thing you did and you're like, Perry, I just can't get past it. Let me tell you why. And I heard our pastor teach this from this stage. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Some of us have been forgiven, but we've never been healed because we've never confessed what we've struggled with to someone. And maybe today you just need to come forward and say, Hey, I've struggled with this all my life. But today, today's the day, I'll leave it at the altar. I brought it in here. I'm not walking out with it. I'm going to leave it here at the foot of the cross knowing that it's paid for. And I'm going to walk out of here not a victim anymore, but in the victory that Jesus Christ has promised me that I can live in because of the cross. So in just a second, as soon as I say amen, all of us stand. And if you need prayer on any of our campuses, you come forward. And for the rest of us, I'm, I'm going to ask you not to leave. I'm going to ask you to enter into a time of worship and let's sing about the greatness and the awesomeness of our God. Jesus, thank you for the cross. And Jesus, thank you that I'm not the man I should be, but I'm not the man I used to be. And that is totally, totally because of you. Father, I pray for every man and every woman in this room, Father, that you would fill them with the strength and the courage right now. If they need prayer, if they need to talk with someone about what you spoke to their heart about in this message, that you would fill them with the courage to step, to stand up, 
and step out and walk out of here very different than they walked in. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross, and thank you for the, for the victorious life that you promised every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.